market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. Any political party in this chamber that was confident in their arguments around independence would not be desperate to deny the people of Scotland the right to make that choice. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. My name's Connor Matchett, I'm the Deputy Political Editor at The Paper and with me this week, as always, is our political editor Alistair Grant and our political correspondent Rachel Amory. Um, Welcome to the both of you. It's a beautiful sunny day and we're in a committee room um, at the top of the Parliament with possibly the best view of the Parliament. Rachel, this is apparently the first time you've been in this room, so are you enjoying the the sun, sun, sun basking... I don't know what I'm saying. The hills of Arthur's seat. It's right there. I can see it. It is lovely. So I'm going to request that we do all of our podcast recordings from this room from now on. It's far too nice. <laughs> I, th- I can also spy a um, ice cream machine, an ice cream van, even from here. So I think we might make a trip to that afterwards as well. Anyway, to the point. Uh, l- news coming out of our ears today um, when it comes to Scottish politics. Um, we'll kick off with the story of the day, which came just after First Minister's questions earlier on. Um, Alistair, take us through it. It is, of course, the news um, of the death of SNP icon, legend of the nationalist movement, Winnie Ewing. Yeah, so Winnie Ewing, obviously a a titan of the SNP and the kind of wider independence movement, someone who's very much associated with the, uh, the SNP's kind of modern incarnation as a political party, that famous 1967 Hamilton by-election, uh, her famous words afterwards, stop the world, Scotland wants to get on. It's very much part of the, the SNP's story. Um, she was president of the SNP from 1987 to 2005. Uh, in 1974, she famously defeated the then Scottish Secretary Gordon Campbell to win the Murray and Nairn seat, a member of the European Parliament from the 70s until 1999. Uh, that's where she picked up that, that famous moniker, mm-hmm. Madame Acosse. Um, she was also the first presiding officer of the reconvened Scottish Parliament and famously told the opening session, uh, the Scottish Parliament, which adjourned on March 25th, 1707, is hereby reconvened. And I remember literally learning about that in modern studies in school mm-hmm. and thinking it was a great line at the time. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things that completely sticks in your head, completely captures the moment. And I think it's one of the most famous lines in modern Scottish politics. So just a complete icon of the movement, as you've said. And also, you know, the mother of two sitting MSPs currently, Fergus Ewing and Annabel Ewing. Uh, also, they've got another, uh, they've got a brother as well, Terry Ewing. So very much this, this uh, SNP dynasty, probably one of the families that's, that's most associated with the SNP in some ways. So just a, just a huge figure. And you can see that from uh, the tributes that are coming into her, you know, all figures involved in the independence movement paying tribute on social media, putting out statements, Nicola Sturgeon, Hamza Youssef, Alex Salmond, all paying tribute to her. Uh, just a huge figure, really. Um, it's, it's, it's really difficult to actually understate her influence in Scottish politics, and particularly the nationalist movement. You know, without the victory in the 1967 by-election, you don't have the SNP as the political force it is today. You don't have that famous kind of 70s revival of Scottish nationalism and you don't have Alex Salmond, you don't have Nicola Sturgeon. She is probably the most important nationalist in the history of Scotland. 
Yeah, I mean, well, 1967 is just one of those dates. If you're interested in Scottish politics, you just know about it. You know, books have literally been written about Hamilton 1967. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's one of those marking points of the SNP's rise as a kind of modern political force, you know, alongside Margot MacDonald in mm. 1973 and the kind of rise of the SNP in the 1970s ahead of the devolution referendum. It's just, it's just such a part of the SNP story and she's such a huge figure. Uh, and yeah, it'll just be... It's a bit of a moment, I think, actually. What do you think the impact of her death is going to be? Um, Rachel on the SNP at the minute, they're going through a tough, a tough moment. You know, this might, um, you know, to lose such a towering figure might maybe see minds kind of become refocused. It could very well do because um, we've seen, like you said, across the independence movement, people are paying tribute to her. I think it's sort of really sort of sobered a lot of people up here. So it could very well be again be a defining moment within the independence movement um that's something that she's obviously been known for in history so who's to say that's not going to happen again now could very well happen and of course this comes with the backdrop of fmqs it's really hard to talk about fmqs um in a in a way that isn't kind of colored by the fact we found out about winnie ewing's death almost as soon as the as fmqs was over and um, rachel take us through kind of what happened initially um you did have um, Hamza Yusuf and Douglas Ross come to blows over Fergus Ewing, Winnie's, Winnie's son. Exactly. Um, it, it does seem like an incredibly awkward timing, unfortunately, um, in this one here. But um, yes, Douglas Ross, his questioning at FMQs today was about Fergus Ewing, about um, the fact there was a vote of no confidence in Lorna Slater and um, Fergus Ewing voted for that, um, which is going to cause a lot of upset within the party and there was questions as to what's going to happen there, why is nothing being done about this, um, etc, etc. And yes, it did become quite heated between Douglas Ross and um, Hamza Youssef. Um, At one point, Douglas Ross did actually bring up Winnie Ewing, um, not realising that um, she had passed away by this point. and um, we did also sort of, um, the journalists um, were sort of speculating, oh, where is um, Fergus Ewing? He's not there today. And we now know why. Mm-hmm. We now know why he's not there. Um, but we were certainly speculating about that when we first noticed that. And Alistair, I mean, there's been a lot of reporting, um, not least from me, <laughs> about the possibility that Fergus Ewing could lose the SNP whip over his decision to vote against Lorna Slater. Just returning slightly back to the impact of Winnie Ewing, you know, the Ewing name within the SNP is absolutely sacrosanct, isn't it? It would be an incredibly symbolic moment for for Fergus Ewing to to lose the whip if that that did happen. Yeah, I mean, Fergus Ewing has been a a thorn in the side of the SNP leadership for quite a long time. He doesn't like the deal that the SNP have done with the Greens, the, the, the Butte House Agreement, the cooperation agreement in the SNP and the Greens. He doesn't like a lot of the Scottish government's policies, such as the deposit return scheme, you know, highly protected marine areas. Um, he's just He's been a critic for quite some time and there has been this ongoing conversation about how long he can be a foreign in the side as a backbench MSP without having the whip removed. And then, I, as, as Rachel was saying, we had that no-confidence vote in the Green Minister, Lorna Slater, uh, in which SNP MSPs were obviously expected to back Lorna Slater mm-hmm. and he chose not to uh, and that seemed like a bit of a moment in which the whips would have to act I think something like this is going to um, it's just I mean it's, it's going to have an impact it just is just because like you say the, the Ewing name is so well known and so linked to the SNP 
Uh, and I think it would have been a bit of a moment anyway to remove the party whip from Fergus Ewing purely because he's such a veteran of the party. Uh, he's been an MSP for so long. He has been a senior government minister. He's someone very... He's not... Um, he wouldn't be an easy figure to to do that, to take that kind of action for. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think this... I think it will have an impact. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know... <laughs> A lot of people on on Tuesday and Wednesday, when when I was asking about the the idea of Fergus losing the whip, were pretty bullish actually about about what, what was going to happen. Clearly, not knowing what was going on with the family in the background, um, which I imagine has changed things. We'll come to um, the big event of the weekend coming shortly, um, which is obviously the SNP's independence convention. Um, but Alistair, I'm wondering, and Rachel, let's let's have a big picture look at this question and um, Alex Salmond labelled Winnie Ewing the most influential nationalist of the 20th century is she the most influential nationalist slash SNP politician that we've ever seen um, I, I mean I think the, probably the, if you're going to talk about influential figures I think Alex Salmond himself mm. would be up there I think Nicola Sturgeon would be for different reasons um, I think those figures that were there around the time of the 2014 independence referendum just have changed the, the SNP you know, Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon between them created the modern party in some mm. ways. But, you know, Winnie Ewing was another huge figure. Margot MacDonald, another huge figure. There's all these really influential figures uh, that basically, you know, as I say, created the modern SNP. She was definitely one of them. Uh, I think in some ways, yeah, it's difficult to see past figures like uh, Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon, I think. Rachel, what do you think? Yeah, I'd very much have to just echo what Alistair said there. There's a lot of events in recent history of nationalism that we'd have to take into account there. But, um, yeah, Winnie Ewing's name is just synonymous with the movement. I remember um, watching the news growing up, you just, you just knew her name because she was constantly on the news, constantly at the front of politics. So, yeah, she, she was a huge figure, um, sort of pre-2007 sort of in particular. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and I think uh, we'll uh, we'll be hearing far more. I think about about Winnie Ewing's life and and her impact in in Scotch politics over the coming days, um, without a doubt. Um, let's uh, just quickly move down south to Westminster um, and hear our latest update from our Westminster correspondent, Alex Brown. Welcome to the Westminster section of the podcast. My name is Alexander Brown, and it has once again been a week of Boris Johnson. The Privileges Committee report was debated in Parliament on Monday evening and unsurprisingly MPs voted overwhelmingly to support its findings, meaning if he hadn't fled in disgrace, he would be banned from the Commons for 90 days and what's more, would not get a pass, meaning a former Prime Minister will not be allowed back on the estate unless he goes through security and gets a visitor's pass, which is frankly rather embarrassing for him. If you cast your mind back to when he was supposed to run to replace Liz Truss when she was standing down, the former Prime Minister was said to have almost 100 supporters, enough to be in the conversation. But when it came to it, Tory MPs voted against him, abstained, and he only really had seven supporters. Seven! Of all the MPs in the Commons, only seven were willing to say the report was wrong and they couldn't support it. He's gone, and I know what you're thinking, but what about Mrs Sunak? Where did Rishi Sunak stand on supporting Parliament and a report vilified uh, by Mitchelton supporters? He simply did not have a view. He chose not to vote for it, saying he didn't want to influence people, which is a startling admission when you're the Prime Minister. And 
frankly, it's a little bit of Keir Starmer. Don't take a view, don't have an opinion you can get in trouble for. Moving away from the circus that is Mr Johnson. In cheerier news, inflation and interest rates, very, very bad. Uh, in layman's terms, very, very bad. The Bank of England has raised interest rates again after a pretty expensive month, which saw food go up, secondhand cars get more expensive, and also video games. Apparently, uh, due to the Legend of Zelda uh, game coming out, which I've yet to play, but has had overwhelmingly good reviews, I will get it when it's cheaper. But it, is a, it was the first uh, £60 game, so that's had an impact on inflation, apparently. As a result, mortgages are under real threat, and I think 1.4 million people are going to have 20% less disposable income due to what's happened this week, which is incredibly grim. I mean, that's double the population of Edinburgh. More than will have less money in their pocket. What are the government doing about it? Well, Rishi Sunak says there are measures of support in place, but they won't intervene. The Lib Dems are saying, why don't you do some sort of financial support? And the answer is, well, that will only increase inflation, so that won't help. And Labour are saying, oh, it's all the Tories' fault, but we don't know what we do either. So if you've got a house, I'm really sorry, it's going to get more expensive. And if you haven't, your rent's probably going to get more expensive because, as ever, these things will get passed on to the renters. It's been a very cheery week. Thank you so much for listening. So thank you very much for that, Alex. Uh, Worrying times for anyone with a mortgage, I think, given the interest rate rise from the Bank of England, uh, which, again, you know, we've got news stories coming out of our ears today. Um, Let's move on. Let's discuss quickly the independence convention coming up. We've touched on this recently about, you know, the independence question maybe becoming slightly irrelevant um, with everything else that's going on, such as interest rate rises. Uh, But Rachel, what do you think we can expect from the convention on Saturday? And how do you think Hamza Hamza Yusuf is going to approach it, um, given the difficulties of the last few weeks? Yes, this this is the convention on Saturday. It's going to be at the Caird Hall in Dundee. Um, A sensible choice of location. Um, we know that Dundee is a, a stronghold for the SNP and for the independence movement, one of the few areas to vote yes in 2014. So Helpfully close to where Hamza Yusuf lives. Very healthy, close <laughs> to where he lives as well. He's just down the water a wee bit in Frotty Ferry, isn't well, he? Handy for you as well. Yeah. Handy for me. I'm just further down the water the other direction in <laughs> Perth. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think um, when it comes to this, this meeting on Saturday, I think this is really going to be a chance for the independence movement and the SNP to sort of get themselves back together after Nicola Sturgeon, get themselves back united um, as one, because that's that was why the independence movement has been so powerful up until now, is because of that, the fact that they are one huge movement um, that hasn't been fractured, and we know there has been splits in the party since the election, there's been a lot of doubts um, cast because of the police investigation, we've seen the polling um, favour with the SNP amongst independence supporters are it's not as it was, it's going down slightly. So I think this is more of a chance for the party to just sort of get themselves back together, get regrouped, get back on track with what it is they want to do. Um, I think we saw that in particular with the independence paper that came out at the start of this week. Um, Connor, you were at that um, announcement in Glasgow on Monday. Um, The paper, it was about a written constitution for an independent Scotland. And it was a very, very safe paper, I thought, because... um, Boring somewhat. Well, <laughs> well, it depends on how you look at it, whether it was safe or boring. But um, I think um, a lot of the things that were in this paper were things that a lot of people already agree on. So, for example, access to free healthcare, you'd be struggling to find someone who would disagree with you on that. Or are things that are 
long-standing SNP policy. Uh, I don't think anybody was particularly surprised to hear that they don't want nuclear weapons, for example. So um, it was a very, very safe paper. It probably won't budge anybody who's on the fence with independence. And I think perhaps the idea of doing that it's because the independence movement is so fractured and they're wanting to sort of appeal to them, get them back on site and get them back on board. And so I think the independence paper on Monday and the independence conference on Saturday is probably going to be more about that than anything else. Yes, and it's no offence to Scottish Labour or the, the Scottish Government for not talking all about the big announcements that were made on Monday. As you mentioned, the independence paper from uh, Hamza Youssef and uh, the big energy announcement from Scottish Labour. It's worth mentioning the thick of it moment, I think, with uh, the Scottish, Indepe- Scottish Labour's energy announcement when a group of journalists ended up on a bus that was promised to be a hydrogen bus, turned out to be a diesel bus, which then promptly got lost. Um, full on uh, Malcolm Tucker moments, I'm sure, going on in the, in the background um, from the spinners in Scottish Labour. Um, Alistair, what can we expect to hear from Hamza Youssef on sa- Saturday? We've got him giving a speech, we've got John Swinney giving a speech, we've got Stephen Flynn, the Westminster leader of the SNP giving a speech, and also Mary Black, the deputy leader um, in Westminster, um, and Kate Forbes, the defeated leadership contender, um, chairing a panel. Um, it's going to be a long day of talking. Um, but what do you think we can hear from the man who's really, let's be honest, his opinion matters the most? Uh, I mean, I think, I mean, I know we've spoken about this so many times on this podcast, just elsewhere. Uh, it feels like Scottish journalism has been stuck in a bit of a groundhog day mm. when it comes to this topic. I don't think we should expect fireworks, if I'm being honest. I think Hamza Yusuf will probably, maybe I'm wrong, but he'll probably say a version of what his position has been for quite some time, the position that he put forward during the leadership election, which was that to get independence, you essentially need to grow support. So he is basically placing everything on that, this kind of growing support and creating this momentum that the UK government can't refuse, rather than going down the route of some kind of wheeze, like a de facto referendum. I know there were stories recently about him potentially, you know, resurfacing that de facto referendum plan. Uh, I don't really see that being the case. I don't think he will go down that route. Uh, He certainly, his comments about it previously have never been that supportive of it. He made clear that he didn't really think it was a great idea. I think it'd be strange now for him to start going down that route, as I say. So I just don't see what else he can say. I think the SNP's biggest problem is that they don't really know what to do. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to get independence. They can have these events and talk about it, and kind of set out their case for an independent Scotland, but they fundamentally have the problem that they don't know how to achieve it. They don't know how to get there because the UK government are just not going to play ball. And we obviously had that Supreme Court judgment last year that Holyrood doesn't have the power to hold a referendum without the consent of Westminster. So they're kind of stuck in a rut. I just don't see them really getting past that. So I think this event on Saturday will be interesting if you're into Scottish politics, if you're into... SNP internal politics, probably a small group of people out there that would appeal to. But I think if you're if you're looking for something that's actually going to change the dial, uh, I think you'll probably be disappointed. Maybe I'll be eating my words come Monday. We'll find out, sure enough, and we'll give you a full update on that next week, um, which is likely to be our last podcast for a while, given that it is recess from the end of Thursday next week. And um, before we go today, though, and I am springing this on you without having warned you about it, we've had an incredibly busy second half of the parliamentary year since um, since the start of 2023. I would like your best story or best moment from the parliamentary six months that we've had. It can be best in any way that you wish to define that word. It can be funniest. It can be whatever you like. Um, but Alistair, I'm going to 
start with you to give Rachel some time to think, as I can see the cogs turning. It's a difficult question because it's been a completely crazy few months in Scottish politics. You know, we've had that police investigation into the SNP. Uh, I don't think anything can really compare to uh, being, you know, that day when Peter Murrell was arrested, obviously later released without charge, and the home that he shares with Nicola Sturgeon in the outskirts of Glasgow was raided by police. And I was there outside SNP HQ as police officers went in and out. It was just an extraordinary day. I think if I was going to choose another moment, it would be Nicola Sturgeon's resignation, purely because that morning I was trying to get my car <laughs> MOT'd in Dunfermline. Yes. And I essentially had to race back to Edinburgh uh, for a press conference I was assured that I just absolutely could not miss. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to choose moments amongst the, the craziness of the last few months, but definitely those stick out. Rachel, you've only been with the Scotsman for a few months, but what, what, what about you? I'm going to pick something I did before I joined the Scotsman, if that is okay, because you did say to go for something funny. Yes. And um, I was asking some independence uh, sort of groups, um, sort of the grassroots groups, but what, um, what Nicola Sturgeon's resignation means for the movement. And one of them had said that she hopes that Nicola Sturgeon will become the Obi-Wan Kenobi of the independence movement. And um, I got a lovely graphic made up of her dressed as Obi-Wan Kenobi. So that's my funny story from the past six months. I think that graphic needs to be shared. Um, Thank you very much, both of you, um, for your time today. Thank you very much at home for listening. Thank you very much, Alex, from London as well. We'll speak to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. Any political party in this chamber that was confident in their arguments around independence would not be desperate to deny the people of Scotland the right to make that choice. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. 